Welcome to It Awaits You, a podcast composed of true Southern Gothic tales for the modern age. It Awaits You, The Nashville Bomber While Anthony Quinn Warner's RV bomb didn't detonate in downtown Nashville until Christmas morning 2020, the spark started decades before. There was a duality to the seemingly quiet ladies' man from Antioch, who once grew a Magnum PI-style mustache. One side was the intelligent and resourceful IT specialist who walked a Yorkie named Bubba for his friend, Crystal Deck, while she worked at the local Waffle House. He replaced the windshield wipers on her Nissan pickup truck. He was even known to pay the tabs of her customers on occasion. But there was also the side of Tony that only kept an air mattress and computer in his home when Crystal first met him. The side that believed he could hunt shape-shifting reptilians, or lizard people, in nearby Montgomery Bell State Park. The side that had grown increasingly paranoid in the wake of the 9-11 attacks 20 years ago, even telling friends the attacks were the catalyst, driving him to indulge in further conspiracy thought. And like many who lose their grip on reality, Tony was weighed down by personal issues, in this case, a morbid ticking clock in the form of a cancer diagnosis, at least according to his buddy Crystal. She felt Tony wanted to go out on his own terms, what cancer Tony might have been experiencing remains unknown, if real at all. In his 20s, Tony worked as a technician for Ace Alarms, covering residential and commercial alarm systems across Nashville beginning in the 1970s, a skill set that likely came in handy when figuring out the logistics of his RV bomb and its audio warning. After a car accident left Tony's boss, Tom Lundborg Sr., Unable to carry on daily business, Tony and Tom's son, Tom Lundborg Jr., took over operations together at ACE. Before the car accident, Tony and Tom Sr. would frequent Nashville's dive bars, where women seemed naturally drawn to Tony, despite his shy demeanor. But he could never flirt back. Tom Jr. said they would cruise the streets of Nashville in their work truck, blaring 103 KDF, the local classic rock station. But occasionally, the mostly silent Tony would pause the music to lecture the teenager about cops when encountering them in traffic, telling him, never trust a cop, they're all corrupt. Tony would make his stern announcements before casually cranking the radio back up again. Tony's only brush with the law prior to the 2019 bomb report was a charge for marijuana possession in 1978. His early feelings about cops weren't completely unfounded, given the later negligence displayed in the investigation of his very own bomb construction. Outside of his disdain for police and his proclivity for smoking weed, Tony also told the young Lundborg Jr. that he had previously gotten out of the Navy, but his service has not been confirmed nor denied for the time being, one of the still-missing puzzle pieces in Tony's life. However, this small nuance in the case has bred its own branch of conspiracy thought regarding possible military experience with bomb-making. In an early display of Tony's calculating alter ego, or maybe just business savvy, he betrayed the Lundborg family by creating a rival alarm company and taking a couple clients with him. 
This was made even more awkward by the fact that Tony dated Lundborg Jr.'s cousin at the time. Again, apparently women saw something in him. Perhaps it's the commitment inherent in bomb-making, plus that mustache. But moving on, he couldn't keep the business afloat for the same reason he couldn't capitalize on the lady's interest in him long-term. Tony couldn't talk to people. He wasn't personable and had a reputation for being cocky. He even ended up in court against his own mother after transferring his brother's house to himself shortly before his brother's death in 2018. The case was dismissed and the house was later returned to his mother, but the family would remain on tense terms. After abandoning his startup alarm business, Tony honed his knowledge as an independent IT contractor, taking on jobs for real estate offices, car dealerships, and a variety of other clients. The last time he was seen by Tom Lundborg Jr. was at a Chevy dealership in 2007 when completing a job for them. Even after the dispute with his family over Ace Alarms, Tom didn't feel Tony was someone capable of what he ultimately did. No red flags to paint the portrait of a lone bomber. About a month before the bombing, Tony announced to all of his clients that he would be abruptly retiring. But that wasn't his only curious behavior in the years, months, and days preceding the explosion. Tony gave away a couple homes to an old girlfriend's daughter for free, using a quick claim deed, basically an expedited process for transferring real estate to someone else. The daughter was a music executive at the time in 2019, residing in LA. It's unknown if she used the properties. One of the homes was involved in the dispute with Tony's mom, and if you're already thinking this, yes, Tony giving away his possessions should have been a clear indication of an impending suicide attempt for those familiar with the warning signs. His mother and sister never agreed to any media interviews. Not a shock given the family dynamic. One item wasn't included with his generous giveaways. Tony had moved his old RV, which he never drove, closer to home. He relocated the chateau from its long-used parking spot on the street into the fenced-off area of his yard to begin an unknown project. It awaits you listeners should already know from the Butcher of Mincy Road series. If your weird neighbor has an odd yard project, maybe take a look, or at least don't brush off their comments about achieving infamy this holiday season. Tony even once exclaimed to the neighborhood, speaking to no one in particular, I want that peacock. He yelled this after seeing one strolling through the Antioch neighborhood. His instability when it came to control and possession was impossible to ignore, but also a bomb maker and peacock lover. What a renaissance man. Now for moving the RV into the yard, Tony likely did that for a number of reasons. Low explosives, materials more easily obtainable by the public in large quantities, are different from more regulated so-called high explosives. Tony would have needed low explosives in a huge amount to create the type of blast occurring Christmas 2020 in downtown Nashville. Moving the RV behind the fence would have allowed Tony room to set up conspicuous amounts of low explosive materials without prying eyes. And maybe it was just easier to move a shorter distance to the yard as opposed to the street. He was 63 after all. What exact type of low explosives he might have used hasn't been disclosed by investigators though many experts feel that was his most likely route to the bomb's construction. But there's possibly another reason for moving the RV. Tony's lawyer actually restricted investigators from searching his property after his ex-girlfriend Pamela Perry 
reported him for bomb making. If Tony was aware he was being investigated for his mad science in real time, it would have been a self-fulfilling prophecy of extreme anti-government paranoia. Did he feel he was in a cat and mouse game with the authorities he long hated? This could have fueled his vigilance while simultaneously pushing him deeper into his not-so-secret plot. In truth, Tony's duplex was staked out for days before the case was left open but inactive. Investigators could see no signs of bomb-making behind the fence they couldn't see through, from their vantage point on the street. Just crackerjack police work. This, plus the original report occurring during Pamela's suicide attempt, could have distorted the credibility of the threat. It's not difficult to imagine detectives seeing a troubled relationship, combined with mental health struggles, and simply not believing wild accusations about a man building a bomb. While law enforcement experts point to more than enough evidence that could have prompted a search warrant, police were cleared of misconduct for not pursuing the bomb-making reports further. They were vindicated by internal investigation, of course. And like many other aspects of life, this case disappeared into a world gripped by the pandemic as 2019 turned into 2020. No doubt the conspiracies that spread just as quickly as COVID-19 expedited Tony's spiral farther away from reality, just the scenario needed for his confirmation bias. Through the pandemic, he toiled away in his makeshift lab on the 100 block of Bakertown Road, ever obsessed with his work. A few days before the bombing, he dropped off his car in the care of his old friend from Waffle House, Crystal Deck, leaving her the keys, his gloves, one of his jackets, and of course, her dog you heard about earlier, a Yorkie named Bubba. Tony and Bubba enjoyed one last walk together. Then he told Crystal he had little time left and walked away. Crystal texted Tony Merry Christmas just moments before turning on her TV the morning of the 25th. She knew instantly why he didn't reply. Her mind immediately drifted to weeks before Christmas when she witnessed Tony manipulating a female voice on his computer in an empty room before telling her how much he admired the spirit of Petula Clark's 1964 hit single, Downtown. Crystal would go on to say, when I first met him, I just thought his cornbread wasn't done in the middle and he was off a little bit. An astute observation, given she was the first person to visit Tony's apartment in 20 years, becoming an unlikely companion as his final days were drawing to a close, foreshadowed by the first verse of the song he obsessed over, Downtown. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help I know downtown. Just listen to the music of the traffic in the city. Linger on the sidewalk where the neon signs are pretty. How can you lose? The light's so much brighter there. You can forget all your troubles, forget all your cares downtown. But as the dust settled after the bombing, and Tony's troubles and cares were forever forgotten, there were exposed flaws to deal with collectively, outside of his personal life and motive. The bomb grounded flights, cut off 911 call centers, prevented sick people from reaching COVID-19 hotlines, and slammed internet and cell phone networks to a halt for days, all because it detonated next to the AT&T network building, containing a vital telecommunications infrastructure. Tony's homemade blast prompted some in and outside of the industry to push for heavily fortified network buildings, 
secured behind multiple layers of security and outside city limits in a more rural location. As it stands, some could be quite vulnerable. Federal funding was almost immediately granted in the early days of 2021 to rebuild and revitalize the area of downtown demolished by the bomb. Yet the same level of funding languished for lower-income areas of Nashville devastated by a tornado earlier in 2020. Help came only months later after the communities destroyed by the tornado were once again pummeled by flooding. The contrast highlighted a stark difference in emergency relief based on the class status of the neighborhood's suffering. Was the bombing terrorism? Did Tony have an ideological goal? Many said it resembled IRA bombings, in which warnings were stated prior to detonation so there was a chance for evacuation. While others pointed to the warning as evidence Tony only wanted to harm himself, granted in a very dramatic and costly way. Could it be the truth, as is often the case, can be found at some weird place in the middle? If Tony had a political angle, it would of course be found in his various conspiracy beliefs, mailed to acquaintances across the country, the full contents of which have never been made public. But there are a few confirmed excerpts. There was a recurring trend within the typed pages of ramblings and thumb drives containing videos and images, covering everything from 9-11 to lizard people, to the moon landing and beyond. Tony believed 9-11 was an inside job, but he also believed that since the 9-11 attacks, Earth had been under assault by reptilians and aliens, while the government attempted to shield the general public from the truth. He genuinely felt civilization was reaching its end. Officials have never clarified if Tony held anti-5G conspiracy beliefs, which took hold at the beginning of the pandemic. If he did espouse those views in his letters, maybe the investigation omitted this to prevent copycat crimes in a world where cell phone tower attacks have already occurred because of 5G conspiracies. But beyond 5G conspiracy theory, there's another reason Tony might have found himself parked beside AT&T on Christmas morning. His father once worked for AT&T, and it's said by friends that because of this relationship, Tony held some sort of grudge against the company. Did he blame them for family trouble or treating his father poorly? Of course, there are other legitimate reasons to be frustrated with AT&T's history as a company, especially when it comes to market monopolization and stifling the rise of the internet and other new technologies. Could Tony have held some sort of strong convictions about the company's damage to society, somewhat akin to Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber? Of course, Ted didn't dig computers like Tony and had a different list of grievances, but did they share a broad hatred for technology-based institutions, growing ever more powerful in a modern world? The personality types seem too similar to ignore, and because of Tony's expertise, he would have been well aware of the damage he could cause by detonating next to the network building. In fact, AT&T spent days scrambling to set up mobile network stations to recover while some areas experienced extended outages. The battery power that sustained the network for a few hours initially after the blast soon gave way to damage from the sprinkler system and sporadic fires. All told, there were millions of dollars in repair costs spread across AT&T and 50 other buildings in Nashville. Moving past any potential vendetta against AT&T, it's easy to see Tony was suicidal in his overall philosophy, as it reads straight from his letters and emails. Hey dude, you will never believe what I found in the park. 
The knowledge I have gained is immeasurable. I now understand everything. And I mean everything, from who, what we really are, to what the known universe really is. Everything is an illusion. There is no such thing as death. Tony signed many emails with the name of his dog, Julio. It's believed Julio could have also perished in the explosion the morning of the 25th. There hasn't been any indication someone else took Julio in, but it is possible. Ironically, the bombing somewhat inspired by conspiracy theory spread its own misinformation, as other Tonys of the world tried their best to make sense of the absurdity they found on their TVs and phones that December day. Some were convinced a missile hit Nashville, while others in the QAnon community immediately embraced Tony as an anti-hero of sorts, shoehorning his final masterpiece into their own detachment from reality. Meanwhile, the FBI's official report declared Tony was not driven by a particular political movement or ideology, for whatever that's worth. This news was not well received by many who feel there already isn't proper awareness regarding domestic terrorism, specifically in the realm of anti-government and white supremacist groups. But Tony falls into a gray area of categorization as an individual. His actions certainly could have possessed unhinged philosophical roots, and he obviously wanted to make a statement to be remembered. He was definitely a loner, long lost in a world of conspiracy, but not a fresh recruit to a specific internet cult like QAnon. Then there's the lack of a healthy personal life, paired with the potential cancer diagnosis and extreme isolation. It all came to a head that Christmas morning, the crescendo in a symphony of anguish and delusion. So, listeners, if you're having a bummer holiday season out there and you think the walls of life are closing in, just remember, there are people who want to help and support you. And they're not lizards. Reach out to them right now. Plus, you can always go downtown. But please, don't blow yourself up. Happy New Year from It Awaits You. The podcast will return soon with a new season and new stories. In the meantime, you can find us on social media and get even more content through our Patreon, where your support is very appreciated. If you like this episode and want others to hear about it, Take a moment to follow, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, it awaits you.